Amen. All right. Good to see you. Second service. Thanks for coming out. We had a great start to the day. It's about to get even better. Thank you for being here. Turn to Genesis 1. We are going to finish verse 1 today, I promise. I am not going to go four weeks on verse 1, just three. Next week, I am scheduled to do verses uh, 2 to 23. 2 to 23, <laughs> so bring a snack, okay? No, I probably won't make it, but I've got one message written, divinely designed, the actual origin of species. That's what we're doing next week. Divinely designed, the actual origin of species, probably the next couple of weeks, but we might get it in a week. Who knows? We'll just, we're going to take a stab at it. What we want to do today, though, is go back where we didn't even come close to finishing last week and pick back up. We're going to say our verse together, first with no blanks, then some blanks. I'm going to get to this verse in a few weeks. Super important verse, super critical subject. We're going to try to answer some, some really fundamental questions that are, uh, they're just, I, I don't know, they're not politically correct, but they're biblically correct, and should we care about anything else? So we're going to answer it according to the word of the Lord, but I do want you to say this with me today, and uh, this is where we get purpose. This is where we get, look, God's got his hand on you because he made you. You're his child and he cares about you. Like this little doohickey right here I'm going to show you in a minute. Uh, that's my baby. I made it. My son and I made it. And so uh, I want to give you an illustration to chew on as we start today. But let's say this verse together. You ready? Genesis 1:27. Let's go. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. All right, let's do it again. Throw some blanks in it. Ready? So God created man in his own, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. All right, excellent, good. We're going to keep moving here. We've got this series, Genesis Fact or Fiction. And why does it matter? Why does it matter? Well, everybody's going to start when it comes to creation with a bias one way or the other. You're going to lean toward a non-theistic bias or you're going to lean toward a theistic bias. Don't let anybody tell you that they're going to just observe the evidence without bias. Anybody observing the evidence without bias at least, at least has to agree to intelligent design if not an intelligent designer. And I'm going to use my little butterfly here as an illustration. A couple years ago when COVID swept through, we all had more time at home, right? And so I saw these things pop up on Amazon. This is not the first one we did. We actually have a movie projector. We have a card, playing card holder. We have a music box looking thing. We've built several of them by now. Have any of you, I think I was the only one in the first service. Have any of you ever built a 3D puzzle? Any of you here? Pressure. Oh, cool. All right. Good deal. So these are fun, right? You get them in a flat box. And they're just laser cut wood. I've got the spare parts here in case something on this one breaks. But uh, they come like this, and there are sheets of these and instructions. And they'll take anywhere. The easy ones are a couple hours. They'll go eight to eight hours, ten hours of work. And uh, Bobby and I built this one. And so we cut it out, or you punch these laser cut pieces out. This one has about, I think it said 115-ish, something like that. But when we worked the middle of this 3D puzzle, it was by far the most complex part of it, building the body. I'll come up here for Dale, and I'll see if he can get a, a shot. So you build these mechanisms, and all the legs move, and all the parts and pieces, and then there are all sorts of things here, toothpicks and rubber bands and laser cut, and then these wings are just paper that go on after you've built everything. But about 115 parts, no glue, all pressure fit. They're pretty cool. Then you wind them up. I'll not lock the legs in place. But once you wind it up, and um, if it, 
does the right thing, it's supposed to fly a little bit, and it's not going to take off, so don't get too enthralled. <laughs> it is just wood, but it does its own movement like that. And so that's pretty cool, right? And it hops a little, ah, okay, we'll just stay right there. So I take the board, I punch out all the pieces, I throw them up, and I wait. I wait a long time. Storms come through, and they move the pieces around. Likelihood of creating this, 0.00000, and keep going to the zeros. Just over 100 parts. Likelihood of the parts and pieces coming together to form the real thing, zero again. When we really get honest about how things are, infinitely more complex than my silly little 3D puzzle. We have to say there's more than time, chance, matter, natural selection, survival of the fittest. There's just more to it. Things do not, in observation, actually evolve and get better and better and better. In fact, the exact opposite is true if we pay attention. Unkept, eventually, this thing will likely disintegrate and fall apart if put in the wrong environment. If it's gotten wet or it's left outside, it's not going to make it long. And so when we think about this, you know, you, you, you know we for oh, he wanted to go one more time. Okay, all right, you just do your thing there, big guy. So not very complicated, and yet just to make the inner workings of this little booger took hours and hours of our time. And left without the hands of a creator, it would not be. And here's what I'm attempting to do in this Genesis fact or fiction series, folks. It's very simple. If you're a skeptic, a doubter, a non-believer, if you're an atheist, I want to at least move you to an agnostic. I'd like to move you all the way into the Christian family. But I want to start letting you believe that you can be a theist and be reasonable and rational and look at the data that really is, including the scriptures. And if you are a believer, I really want to shore you up in the faith. Maybe right now your faith is kind of flat, like this box. Maybe it's not in living color. Maybe it's not 3D just yet. I really want to shore you up in your belief to know I don't have to just listen to the good of sales, the, the, the bill of sales that I've been sold all these many years now. For several generations back, creationism has not had a place in the public discourse. And so I want you to at least be honest with the information presented, and I want you to consider that maybe there is an intelligent designer behind this. We Christians know his name is God. We know him to be Trinitarian, his Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I want you to consider the biblical narrative. And next week, for instance, we're going to dig into some questions. Some of y'all are majoring on minors that don't matter, but I'm going to answer your question anyway. You're saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. It couldn't be the way the Bible says. You can't have light before you have the sun. Sure you can. Pay attention to the rest of the Bible. It's why we read the Bible holistically. When we read the Bible cover to cover, we find that actually all of this stuff works together and makes sense. And a quick and a younger creation actually make the most sense. So let's see how that works. I know you probably just got settled. You're feeling good in those uber comfortable pews, but it's time to stand. It's time to honor the reading of God's word. Super short. Here we go. Oh, wait till you get up. That's good. In the beginning. When was that? The beginning. I don't know. Well, science, science says science doesn't know either. 
So science says 14 and a half billion years ago. So what is that? What was before that? Yeah, 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 but the time, chance, and matter puts the pieces together. Where'd the wood come from? You see, you have the problem of infinite regress if you don't start here. In the beginning, God. Barashit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God. What did he do? He created what? The heavens, we've talked about the three, and the earth. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, if we can get these things right, there is nothing else in the pages of this book or the pages of our life that will cause us to ultimately fall. We may doubt, we may question, we may stumble in many ways, but we can believe that there is a God who has created us and we as his creatures can submit ourselves to his authority. We can come under him as the one who molded us and made us and breathed the breath of life into us and our forefathers. When we believe what we just read, bigotry, prejudice, hatred has no place in the human heart because we all come from the same place. We are, when you break it down just right, in the same family, humanity. So help us learn to love well, to live well, in accordance with the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, quick reviews, here we go. Get ready, because I'm gonna go super fast in the beginning. Where'd I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? That's in your notes. We've talked about blessing and cursing. I gave you different theories, like gap theory. So Genesis 1 is different than Genesis 2. Doesn't hold water, indefinite age, age, stage, Day, those are form, there are variant forms of what's called progressive creationism. Some say it happened over time. Some say it's boom, it happened in millions of years or geological eras. Boom, something else happened. But all of these theories that add time to creation create problems. I'll tell you why in a moment. Then we had the in situ theory. I kind of hold a quasi version of that. Uh, there are other theories we went on. But let me give you this. Are you ready? This was the thing you wrote down last time, and then I'm going to push forward past this. Over the course of many years of study on the subject, I, Pastor Bobby have changed from an old earth creationist, millions and billions of years, basically trying to mesh creationism and evolutionary science, which is not scientific at all, but old earth creationist to a younger earth creationist, meaning I have been a creationist my whole life. So, well, that's biased. Well, if you knew the milieu in which Darwin grew up, there was an anti-theistic bias all around him. Every area of science was trying to take God out of the picture. And so to argue that just because I'm a creationist, I come with bias is not to be truthful to the reality that we all start somewhere. And at least with the creator, I don't have the problem with infinite regress because I know what was and who was in the beginning. And because I believe he created, as the Bible said, fiat, and we'll explain next week, by word, the power of the word, I have no problem with ex nihilo creation, out of nothing he created all that there is. But I'm not a young earth guy, and let me tell you why. Young earthers typically, so you're thinking Ken Ham, Creation Research Institute, Answers in Genesis, love that work, appreciate what they've done. I'm certainly closer to those guys than I would be modern evolutionary theory. However, I'm not willing to stand up here and tell you oh, it's 6,000. It may be. It's 10,000. It may be. What I am willing to tell you, and the reason I put the ER on there is this. The older you make the earth, the older you make everything that there is, the more problem you're going to have theologically as you get into the scripture. According to the Bible, it is sin that brings death. Not just the death of mankind, biblically, the death of anything and everything. 
It is God who actually kills the first living thing. I'll explain as we go through the series. It's God who creates the first sacrifice, who takes the life of another being, not Cain, but God. And so what we're going to do is we're going to unpack all of that. And if you make the earth super duper old, you got a problem with when death came in. So that disconnects it from sin, which is a real issue. you got a problem with understanding age, like the Bible teaches how old these, young, these guys were. Adam and his early uh, prodigy were very, very old. Methuselah, 969. You say, that can't be. Oh, 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 oh contraire. I'll show you how it absolutely can be. And we'll explain that. You're going to take away um, water issues related to canopy and universal flood, and there's not enough water. I'm going to answer those. We're going to answer those questions just like we're going to answer why you can have light before the sun. We're going to talk through it so that you see this is reasonable, it is rational, it is in line with Scripture, though Scripture never claims to try to be a scientific treaty on all things you want to know. It will not answer all your questions. But if you're honest and you've truly studied Darwinian evolutionary theory, that doesn't even come close to answering all your questions. Where are those things in between? If we're still in evolutionary process, there are all of these insane gaps between things of their kind, between things that are dogs and cats, and we'll unpack all of that starting next week. But I am a younger earth guy. So, it's the simplest. It's the most literal reading of the Bible. MacArthur, John MacArthur, writes about the opening verses of Genesis. He says, the description of God creating heaven and earth is understood to be recent, Thousands, not millions of years. I don't know. You say, how old is it? I don't know. But much younger than we often think. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. It's special. It's six consecutive days. Periods called days. And further distinguished by phrases evening and morning. So first day, second day, evening, morning. Scripture, according to MacArthur, does not support a creation date earlier than about 10,000 years ago. Okay. That's his take. That's fine. I'm not sure I'm completely comfortable putting any number out there. In the same way I would say, Jesus is coming soon. When? Soon. You get in trouble when you start putting hard numbers down. What I will say is this. What changed my mind? Why did I go from an age-stage progressive creationist? What moved me personally to move from geologic eras? Well, day one was millions or billions of years, and day two was millions. What moved me? I'll tell you what moved me. A master's degree in Greek and Hebrew moved me, particularly Hebrew. Studying the languages in their proper setting. Language has meaning. I know we're trying to redefine words. I know we are. We're trying to redefine boy, girl, male, female, right? We're certainly trying to redefine right and wrong. And so while we try to redefine terms, I'm telling you, culture collapses when you redefine terms. Ancient Hebrew was very, very clear on the word yom. So write this down. A careful study of the Hebrew word for day in Genesis 1 leads to the conclusion this is a literal 24-hour period of time. You say, Pastor, wait. The earth wasn't even in its place yet. It wasn't spinning on its axis and spinning around the sun. Therefore, how would we mark time? All I'm telling you is this. I know that's how we mark time here. But as the Spirit of God is giving the revelation to Moses, who I believe wrote this down, as tradition teaches, I believe that what God is saying is, I can do this, and it accords with what you now call day. Let me tell you why. The word, English, the, the word day in English, of course, can refer to many things. It can refer to a 24-hour period of the earth rotating on its axis, 24 hours in a day, one rotation. It refers to the period of daylight between dawn and dusk, got to go out during the day because it's dark at night. 
it can refer to an unspecified period of time. Well, back in my grandfather's day, so which is it? Text is always determined by context. It's true in English. I could ask you to go to the garage and grab the mouse. If we had a rodent infestation, that would mean one thing. If I was a computer guy, that would mean something else, right? Context is king. Scripture interprets scripture. The context of scripture could not be clearer. How do we interpret yom, day, used in Genesis 1? The Hebrew word yom is used 2,301 times in the Old Testament outside of Genesis 1, yom plus a number, used 410 times, always, every single time, indicates an ordinary day. The words evening and morning together 38 times always indicate an ordinary day. Yom plus evening, morning 23 times always indicate an ordinary day. You have not one reference in all of the Bible that would make yom any Anything but a day, and you would have to do a grave disservice to the text to uh, interpret this any other way. In fact, the standard interpretation of Genesis 1 throughout all of the ages, Jews and Christians, up until the 1800s, was Yom is day, 24-ish hours. I realize there's nuance to a day. You gain a second here or there. But whereas previously the rock layers were interpreted as evidence of Noah's universal flood, I'll come back to it, the scientific community attempting to do away with any theistic interpretation of our beginnings reinterpreted layers of strata as very old earth. It's been proven that dating methodologies like carbon-14 are highly flawed and variable. It's been proven that great floods, I've lived through a few local ones, will change a landscape instantly and dramatically. And so it's been proven all of these things and yet some well well-meaning but terribly mistaken Christians sought to reconcile a new anti-biblical, anti-flood ideology with the Genesis account by saying these are vast, unspecified periods of time. Okay, but what do you do with Job and the instantaneous nature of creation of which he speaks? What do you do with the psalmist and the instantaneous nature of creation of which they speak? What do you do with Romans chapter 8 and the idea of creation? What do you do with death? What do you do with sin? Well, here are the three things where we need to nail this down. Three keys to understanding the age of the earth. You ready? Did y'all write this down last time? Okay. Functional maturity, I'll explain. The universal flood, we'll get to it uh, probably by 2025. And the effects of sin. Just want to make sure you're listening. The effects of sin. You ready? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack some stuff. You ready? Okay. You go to the garden. The Lord has made all of animal kind. They've been named. A suitable helper was not found for Adam. God puts him in a deep sleep, takes from his side, forms and fashions, creates woman. And Adam says, Woohoo! Thank you, Lord. Praise God. And so you have man, you have woman, pre sin, no shame, walking with the Lord. And you just happen to be able to show up. You got to imagine you walk in, they've been around, let's say, a month. They've been around a month. You walk in and you say, Whoa, how y'all doing? Good to see you. Hey, how old are y'all? And they say, mm, let's see, we're, we're a, they look at their Apple Watch, <laughs> and they say, uh, we're a month old. And what do you say? Liar, liar, pants on fire. I know what a one-month-old looks like, and you're a lot bigger than one month. Are they lying to you? No, they were created with functional maturity. Functional maturity. Now let me see if I can unpack that for you. Not using my own words, but I'm going to quote from Dr. Al Mohler long-time president of the Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Some of our students go there at Du Bois College. We have a number of graduates from there. 
this is a transcript from a 2010 national conference in which Dr. Moeller was speaking on the subject. Now, hang with me and listen carefully. Dr. Moeller says, I want to suggest to you that when it comes to the confrontation between evolutionary theory and the Christian gospel, we have a head-on collision. I want to suggest to you that it is our responsibility, Christians, to give an answer when we are asked the question, why does the universe look so old? In the limitations of time, it's impossible that we walk through every alternative answer and sub-question. I agree with that. There's no way I can unpack them all. But in studying them myself, this interpretation of younger earth has the absolute smallest amount of problems. I would argue theologically, historically, and scientifically. So, Dr. Moeller says, I want to suggest to you that the most natural understanding of Scripture of how to answer the question of how old the universe looks is this. The universe looks old because the Creator made it whole. When he made Adam, Adam was not a fetus. Adam was a man and had the appearance of a man. By our understanding, that would have required time for Adam to get old, but not under the sovereign creative power of God. So we put Adam in the garden, and the garden was not merely seeds. It was fertile, a mature garden. The Genesis account clearly claims God creates and makes things whole. Moeller continues, secondly and very quickly, if I'm asked, why does the universe look so old? I have to say it looks old because it bears testimony to the effects of sin. I'll come back. First church, a couple break down outside of our church. I notice the children are young, but the mother is exceedingly old, so I make the assumption it's the grandmother or maybe even great, but I find quickly that no, it's the mother. In ministering to the family over the next few months and taking some things to the home, something's not right. Finally, we discover just a few miles from our church, there's a big raid. They had not only been producing, but using methamphetamine for years. They were meth heads. And everything about them looked like meth head. You ever seen a meth head? You can have a 24, 25-year-old meth head that looks double that age easily. Now, if that's true with one human being, how much more are the effects of sin on us and everything else? Listen. I have to say it looks old because of the testimony of the effects of sin and the testimony of the judgment of God. It bears the effects of the catastrophe of the flood and catastrophes innumerable thereafter. Ever looked at something after a catastrophe? You ever been through a hurricane? Ever been through a tornado? Ever seen what it does? It changes everything and it changes it quickly. Don't believe me. Look at Pompeii. I would suggest to you that the world looks old because Paul says in Romans chapter 8, it is groaning. And if it is groaning, it looks old. It gives us empirical evidence of the reality of sin. And even as the cosmos is the theater of God's glory, it is a theater of God's glory for the drama of redemption that takes place here in this planet, telling us the story of redemptive love. Now listen, is this compatible with the claim that uh, things are four and a half billion years old in terms of the earth? These numbers sort of fluctuate, but presently, four and a half billion for Earth, 13 and a half billion in terms of the large universe. Moeller says, even though that may not be the first and central question, certainly it's not the first question the Bible seeks to answer, it is an inescapable question. And I would suggest to you that in our effort to be most faithful to the Scriptures and most accountable to the grand narrative of the Gospel, that's what I was talking about, the meta-narrative, in order to be faithful to those things, an understanding of creation in terms of 24-hour calendar days and a young earth entails far fewer complications, far fewer theological problems, and actually is the most straightforward, uncomplicated reading of the text as we come to understand God telling us how the universe came to be, what it is, and why it matters. So, 
I conclude, at the end of the day, if I'm asked the question, why does the universe look so old, I'm left with the reality that the universe is telling me the story of the glory of God. And he says, why does it look so old? Well, that in terms of a more elaborate answer is known only to the ancient of days. And that's where we are left. Friend, if you were in my heaven study, you understand that what God is doing is getting us back to the garden. In restoration, God is returning this creation to paradise, a pre-sin state. That's why there's a new heavens and new earth. But the word in that, of that in Revelation is a renewal, not new from nothing. But if we're looking around and we see functional maturity or a functional creation postulate, it looks old, but it's really not, is God a deceiver? I did a show when I was 16, and long story short, I watched the prop men. I was doing a show six, eight months, a uh, country show. So they took brand new shovels, brand new things, uh, wooden things. I don't know. They took all this stuff, and they aged it. If you've ever watched somebody do that, it's fascinating. They turn a hammer around. They take the claw in, and they beat it to death. Then they stain it, and they paint it, and they do all this weird stuff. I don't know if you're singing country music why you have to break things and age things. I think it's because the songs have to do with broken trucks and dogs and wives that leave and all this weird, right? I don't understand all of that, but they aged it. Now, that made the prop master somewhat deceptive because you look at it, and it's older than it looks. We on the stage could look behind it and say, that thing's brand new, man. It's got a Walmart tag on it or whatever it was, right? But he aged it. So is our God purposefully deceptive then in aging the earth? <laughs> no. Friends, I built this with my hands. Bobby and I put every piece together. And I'm telling you, if you didn't have every piece in place, I could remove, I won't because I'd cry, I could remove literally one toothpick and the whole thing would fall down. It is impossible to think in the complexity of what we see around us that everything could come to be in parts and pieces, ages and stages, even over billions of years. So is the Bible misleading or is modern science misled? Are there any intellectually credible means of reconciling two views? Yes. Now let me explain. The functional creation postulate or a functionally mature creation. I prefer functional maturity as the easiest way to explain this. Functional Maturity, you know what those words mean, functional and mature. Simply stated, it means this. When God created his work of creation, when God completed his work of creation, and thereby rested the seventh day, it was mature and functional. It was able to sustain man. Much of what God created may have left a superficial appearance of history where there was no appearance of history. So I'm saying that God created Adam and Eve, the animals and all the plants, to look older than they actually were. But not to be deceptive, because he had to do it that way. Think about it. If God created everything ex nihilo, fiat, by speaking a powerful word, and out of nothing it came to be, what other approach would have been possible? What are you going to do? Create man, and then plop him in the garden as a baby? Where's his mama? You, you don't create a baby, you create a man. And beside of that man, you create a woman. And then the Bible even teaches us that they were married in that garden. We'll come back to that one day. So hours after he was created, Adam looked like an adult male, but he was hours, years old. So which came first? Get this right, the chicken or the egg? The chicken had to come first, man. You just throw an egg out there, there's no chicken to keep it warm. Why did he cross the road? I have no idea. Don't worry about such silly things. But here's the fact. He came first. 
God did not arbitrarily and artificially invent history. I would have a problem with that. It would make our God deceptive. But there is an appearance of age. Think about it. If God created the stars out there and then you had to wait millions of years because of the speed of light travel, and there's a whole other argument we could get into about that, but if you had to wait, God created the stars for a functional purpose. Not only do they guide us, but they help us understand time and seasons and navigation. And even in the earliest recorded human histories, people were beginning to use such things. Are there any other occasions where God may have created something and it looked older than it really was? Yeah. John's Gospel. I think it's chapter 2. You don't have to go there, but it's 2, 8 to 10. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus is going to hang out. He's just getting into public ministry. He's going to a wedding feast. Problem is, a bunch of luscious, they drink through all the wine. What does Jesus do? They take a half a dozen big, giant, 20 to 30 gallon water pots. Jesus says, fill them all up. Why? What does Jesus do? Now listen, I don't want to offend anybody, but my dear Baptist friends, Jesus creates something right there, and guess what? It's fermented wine. I didn't say it had the punch of Tennessee moonshine, okay? Not arguing that. I am telling you that if you take the fermentation out of biblical wine, you have misread the text. Don't be a liar to try to make your position better. It makes no sense. With old wineskins, new wineskins bursting, we know what the fermentation process does. Listen, the reality is this. Jesus instantly turned water into wine. They took that wine to the sommelier. Do y'all know that? I knew that big word. I think that means the wine tasting dude or dudette. And they hold their pinky out like this when they taste it, right? And so the master of the feast, the master of the ceremonies takes a drink. And what does he say? You've done something that's never been done in the history of a wedding feast. Normally they wait till the folks have a snoot full, then they bring out the inferior stuff. You have brought out the B-E-S-T. What did that mean? The aged, the mature. Now, you can have an issue with that all you want, but if you're going to read the Scripture honestly with integrity, you're going to come to that conclusion, and you're going to say, in an instant, Jesus made something appear old that wasn't. Was he purposely trying to deceive? No, he was meeting a need for the moment to deal with the embarrassment that the wedding family and the coordinators would have faced invariably in that society. Jesus, in his love and compassion, and the very first public miracle he does, is saying, I am here to meet a need. I'm not here to shame you. And I want you to understand that there are examples of this, this idea of things looking different all over the place. And you take this view of functional maturity with a, a view of the universal flood of Noah's time, it really does explain the common perceptions of a very old universe while keeping intact the veracity and clarity of Scripture. You start to fudge on Genesis 1, particularly 1 through 11, I promise you, you won't be far from fudging on a virginal conception and a virgin birth. How many examples of that do we have? No, we live in a binary system. It takes a man and a woman, and yet this time it's not just a man. It's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune Godhead, overshadowing Mary. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? I don't know. Ask the Lord. But I've got to be able to figure it out. Oh, come on and get over yourself. There's so many holes in these scientific theories. You've got to have more faith to believe that. You'll lose the virginal conception. You'll lose the very hinge point of our faith, folks. 
If you can't get into the supernatural, you're going to lose the hinge point of Christianity. The Bible says Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried and raised the third day according to the scriptures. You take away the resurrection according to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said we are above all men most to be pitied. We are fools in our faith. And yet the Bible says it is true. Jesus broke the bonds of sin and death and shows us that death is not the end answer. Death is the mere turning of a page for the child of God. So over our past two weeks of introductory journey through Genesis, we've seen the author, the audience, the aim, the age. Now look, I don't have time to answer any and every nuanced question you have, but I would challenge you, if you have trouble being a theist, go back to the beginning. See what really accords with reality. If you are here today and you don't believe in God, then you are the product of time, chance, and matter coming up out of primordial slime. What purpose is that? You know, if I didn't believe in the creator, I would not waste my time nor my breath to stand here every week or to prepare and dig deeply into study. I'm telling you, I would be out front trying to gun down anyone and everyone that got in my way. Why not survival of the fittest? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Every one of you knows, if you've ever had a ch seen a challenged animal, a little bird that comes out of the tree too early, a challenged child that comes into the world with some, some uniqueness to him or to her, your heart doesn't say, oh, kill it. Kill it, it's in the way. I mean, we're evolving humans after all. No, no, God made you in his image. And your heart is burdened for that little thing. And you want it to survive. And the closer it is to your own family, maybe even a part or a piece, you really want it to survive. Because you know deep down Darwinian evolution is absolute hogwash. And if it didn't just begin, and if it's not happened in age and stage, how are we here? Why are we here? What is my purpose? Take every book in this room. Take every Bible Take every study Bible, every book you brought with you. Tear all the pages out. Cut the pages up. What are the building blocks of language, by the way? We know. They're letters. Letters clump together to form what, church? Words. Words clump together to form sentences. Sentences go together in paragraphs. Paragraphs will make papers, articles, books. Take all of the letters here. We have 26 in English, right? Take our 26 A to Z letters and our numbers, because when we cut things up, there'll be numbers. Those 10 numbers, zero to nine. Cut them all up and let's scatter them around the floor. This is our microcosm. This is our test vial. Now, we could take every book in the room, cut all of that up. We could scatter it out and it wouldn't even be close to as complex as one cell of our body. Not even close to as insanely complex as one cell of our being of which we would have not just billions but trillions. Multiply that out across the organisms around the world, animal life, plant life, etc. And you'll see my point very quickly that we couldn't get in this room the complexity that we have beyond this space. But for an exercise, we do it anyway. Then I bring in some big industrial fans. We turn them on and we wait. 
And if you believe that things happen in surges and stations, okay, I'll cut the fan off for a while, and we'll start looking at what we have. Do you know what we're going to have? We're going to have Steve Carell, an anchorman. <laughs> you, you, yes, you'll get a random series of letters that might mean something, but you'll not get complex sentences and thoughts. You'll not get poetry. You'll not get a great novel. And anyone that tells you otherwise is foolish in their bias. You say, well, let's do it again. And let's do it again. And let's do it again. And through the annals of time, we can say this happens and this happens and oh, this jumps here. But the reality is we know that even with the limited amount of complexity we could recreate in this room, that we could not get what we have. So can we at least please start this series in honesty? Those of you who are atheists know, God, can you at least please be honest and say, well, maybe. I'm okay with design, designer, intelligence, personality. Oh, it starts to sound like God. Oh, be careful. Can we at least be honest with the evidence? When you take intelligence out of the equation, you get utter impossibility. And when you try to figure every nuanced detail out with your finite mind or mind, you will drive yourself insane. There are parts and pieces of this you cannot nor you will not understand this side of heaven. But my counsel is simple. Trust the Lord and take him at his word. Start in theology, not anthropology. Remember, there's faith on both sides of the aisle. We walk by faith and not merely by sight. And to not believe the evolutionary theorist walks by sight, they were not there either. And they cannot explain away the millions of anomalies. You can't prove pure evolutionary theory more by what you see than you can the biblical narrative. And as we journey, we're going to see that there's more evidence supporting creation as the Bible teaches than evidence of time, chance, and matter. You and I can disagree on some things and be brothers. We'll be fine. You can hold an older earth position and I'm going to be fine with you. I'm going to tell you that you're going to be challenged in places, but I'm going to be fine with you. What we do have to agree on is just this. In the beginning, God created. Stand with me this morning. As Melissa comes up to join me, listen, let me tell you why this matters so much. Some of you are in a place of life where you are absorbed, drowning in hopelessness. Uh, nobody cares that I'm here. Look at my life. Look at what's going on with me. And if evolutionary theory is correct, I might say you would be correct, but of course we know it's a fallacy. You're here because a loving, creative God wove you piece by piece, stitch by stitch in your mother's womb. I've been doing a lot of study in recent days. I've been reading a lot about the binary fashion of men and women because of a book our uh, staff is reading. I've got them reading right now. And how that when the egg and the sperm unite, there's an explosion that happens. There's a big bang. Literally an explosion of new life. An exponential growth as we, as we know. But even before that moment, for you, when it happened, you've been in the heart and mind of God. 
He knew you'd be here today. He knew you'd be listening to a study on the very first statement he makes in all of the scripture. And he wants you to be a part of his family. He wants you to trust him. He doesn't want you to be such a smarty pants you think you've got it all figured out because I admit I am still learning and growing and being pressed and challenged, but I know this. God made me in his image. God made me with a plan and a purpose. God laid the tracks down for my life. And like those great locomotives we watch going up the ridge behind our house, if I stay on the track God's laid for me, I'm going to have freedom. But as soon as I jump the track and try to do my own thing, I get mired down in this world. But God loves you. Jesus said, I love you this much. God died for you, was raised for you, and friend, I just want you to come back to the basics. If you're struggling, give it to the Lord today. If you're questioning, give it to the Lord today. If you're burdened and broken, give it to the Lord today. Whatever it is, know that your creator God has good for you, but you gotta trust him and you gotta walk with him by faith. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. There's so much more I'd like to say. I have shortened and shortened and shortened these things, but I, I believe we've laid the foundation to build now. And as we go through the days starting next week, God, I pray that we wouldn't get hung up in things that are of no real significance. We can argue till the cows come home about the exact age of this or the nuance of that, but we've got to start within the beginning. God created. If we get that right, everything else will flow. If we get that right, we're starting on a theistic foundation, which we all know, Lord, the world, the world in all of recorded human history has been theist. The vast majority of humankind have looked toward you. Yes, there's been nuance, but the people are created with the law of God written on their heart. Of every culture, of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, there is this knowledge of the Almighty. We've just tried to make him or her in our own image rather than acknowledging that we are made, in fact, in your image according to your likeness. So I pray that we would come humbly seeking your face, seeking your truth, realizing that no one is here by mere time, chance, and matter. No one is here as a product of primordial sludge. We are here by the Creator's hand. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.